Hey, everybody. Welcome to Surface Level, curious conversations about the Black and queer experience. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan, and today, Tony and I are continuing our discussion about the pros and cons of Black excellence. Does Black excellence place too much emphasis on financial gain? Should we prioritize the mental health impact of Black excellence more? This is Black Excellence is a Scam Part 2. Tony. Ooh, yeah, who knew who knew this was coming so so soon, a part two? I know. We usually wait a couple seasons yeah. to do a part two of the episode. And you know what? It's very, it's very sad to me when you read that opening because you didn't say our sister's name. <laughs> well, that's that's what you that's where you come in. And I'm you, talking and, about our sister. Ah, uh, well, mother, yeah, mother I, mean, X. I, mean, I know, I know. Demond <laughs> could not make it into the studio today a rare occasion our the first time in our series history yeah um but he is tending yeah. to um family matters right now so everything is fine but um you know we're gonna have to have this conversation without demand you know right yeah first setting time, the record straight with us <laughs> i know right and, and i was excited about because you know demand usually has his own point of view that's different from yours and mine right where he's really like taking no prisoners mm -hmm. so um but yeah you black excellence is a scam part too very interesting because you know what i know who doesn't think that black excellence is the scam but that white mediocrity is okay i think i might know who that is and too. we're gonna get into that and i'm excited for our guests i am too today and for the listeners to see who we have with us so why don't i go ahead and introduce said person and i'm gonna start here because she won't remember this but we actually first met at a lunch and learn at bet where we both sat in a room to hear words from an executive michelle thornton gee and i know she's gonna gag because this is like a full circle moment for me even but jordan demand and i would later see her starring in the real housewives of new york season 13 as the first black cast member and also, I later gagged when she was the co-host of one of my favorite TV shows, The View. And, you know, they call us the gay view over here. So, you know, I'm happy that she's here. And she's continued to make us gag because she's sending waves over at the Griot constantly. And we love it. She also has a podcast that we live for called Holding Court, where she and our friend Dustin Ross take no prisoners. And she's the author of a book entitled Bet on Black, The Good News About Being Black in America Today. So we're thrilled to welcome Ebony K. Williams to our surface level family. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. I am just fat. I love that intro. I love that like burying the lead introduction. <laughs> Follow the that. blues clues. <laughs> and if you know, you motherfucking know. Yeah. I Exactly. Yeah, and I, I, it, I, I, so yes, and when you said that luncheon, I totally remember that. that yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, we were, that is that was such a, and I remember when that I, had to be like seven years ago. It was a while ago yes. because I don't even. I think I don't even. Maybe I was at Nickelodeon at the time, or I don't know where I was, but it was a lunch and learn, and I was going oh to a lot of them, goodness. and there you were, and I was lunching and learning too, right? Yeah. Now. I think <laughs> we were right, right along with I you, think baby. We were at Fox at the time. I'm sure I was at Fox News yeah. trying to see my way out. Yeah. <laughs> God is good, free at last. God is good. God is good. Yes. yes. So, Ebony, we are going to talk about Black excellence today. I'm so, and thank y'all for answering the call because it wasn't like I didn't shamelessly hop into the comment section unsolicited. <laughs> Listen, we gagged. We took a screenshot. We were talking about it in the group chat. We yeah. were like, okay, like, I what are we, like, how are we responding to right. this? Okay. <laughs> and I, and and I, I loved it. I'm very much of like, strike while the iron is hot. 
she's paying attention to us. Mm-hmm. She has a lot going on in, in the world right now um, on the heels of like this whole bus driver situation. <laughs> bus driver gate. <laughs> I've deemed it bus driver gate. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been following you guys since my run. I was introduced to the show, Surface Love, during my Roni days. And I loved the variety of perspective yes. around my tenure uh and we can get into that as well um but, oh, but wow. i really because i mean why not to your no, point no, no. right mm-hmm. we, what we don't do are missed opportunities yes mm-hmm. right um so i love when black folk brown folks can come to the table um and show up with open-heartedness and open-mindedness and advance the, i'm about advancing the conversation yes so when i saw on my little uh podcast App update notification that Surface Level had a conversation about Black excellence. Auntie E had to hop in the <laughs> comments and, and get on in the chat. Yes. yes, Auntie E is on the case, and we. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yes. Auntie E is on the case. I need my. I got to bring my gavel back from LA and where I've been filming Judge Ebony because y'all know that's ooh, coming. Ooh. Well, we saw a little preview oh, of the situation. Coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a new face to daytime court. I'm excited. Yes. yes. Well, okay, we're gonna actually we're gonna do a little test run with that today. Mm. So um, we got a game. I know yes. I love a bitch loves a game. Listen, <laughs> you know we love games over here too. I love a game. You know we love a game. Woo! And so for the people who ha- are living under a rock and do not know who Ebony K. Williams is, this is an opportunity okay. for people to get to know your personality. Well, y'all know Miss Leek said I wasn't for... famous. She said I was known. Do y'all yeah, remember that? I do actually. I saw that. And I, know, I don't even that. disagree with it. You know, but I'll take being fucking known. <laughs> you know what it is, is y'all? It's, it's good to be known. Amen. It's a good day to be known. I'm exactly. coming at this this pandemic, I'll take it. Yeah, Listen, when they say good to see you, good to be seen. Good to be seen. Hello? And good to be known. And so, guess what? <laughs> what I want everybody you, to ungift okay. themselves. Oh, shut up! <laughs> this is so perfect! <laughs> what do we have here? Oh, it's all right now. It's gavel time! <laughs> oh, <laughs> dookie! Yes. I'm ready. All Hold right. Get my situation. Oh. Next caller. All right. Everybody has their gavel. Yes. Because this game is called Petty Court Confessions. Mm. Okay. Okay. I'm going to read off a scenario. And if you've ever been guilty of that petty crime, hit your gavel. Okay. <laughs> then you'll have the opportunity to briefly present your argument as to why you committed that petty crime. Okay. So let's get started. Let's do this. This is fun. Yes. Have you ever let the elevator door close when someone was just a few steps away? I did yesterday. Period. 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 (laughs) Well, tell us why. Because come the fuck on. You know, because it's it's that simple, bitch. It's hot as hell outside. You know, I need to get to the elevator and get to the air conditioning. So you over here lollygagging with the concierge. I just showed y'all where I live. Mm -hmm. Come on, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Or otherwise, there's another elevator right next to this one. Otherwise, And you and your kid can take the next car. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) For me, I think think I've I've done that and I've kind of just like acted like I didn't see the person but really but really because for <laughs> me I'm trying I'm trying to go to my floor as quickly I don't want any stops on the way so mm-hmm. that's why I'm kind of just like you know what well, let it let it close child. Mm-hmm. well you yeah. know sometimes you can tell when somebody's coming in and it's like chaotic energy mm-hmm. and it's just like I uh, don't come in here stressing me out <laughs> panting and breathing all mm-hmm. hard and stuff like that you sweat and it's ki- now I'm thrown off so yeah I had to I had to just like let it close mm-hmm. you trying to find I, the I'm open flagrant door with mine I'm not there's really no way 
going to shame me. I really want the culture to understand that. So I'd be like, I'd be shitting the clothes shit. Like, come on, let's go, ma'am, ma'am. See, I try to search for, I can't no, find I, it. I used to do that when I was younger. Okay. Now that I got to be about no, good 40, no. bitch, ma'am, bye, bye. Good night, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the next scenario, have you ever shown up to a house party empty handed and partook in mm. eating and drinking? <laughs> That's generational. I had to hit on that one. And, and a lot of times it's not intentional that I would do that. I would never show up to a place that I'm invited to without something. That's just rude. Except for the time you did. In the black community. But listen, when I did, it's, 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 a, it's a couple of things going on there. Maybe I got a last minute invitation. Maybe I've been invited and now the liquor store is closed so I can't stop by. Or maybe I get there and I'm empty handed, but I'll order something. Okay. Via, oh, once you're there. Like yeah, drizzly. once I'm there, I'll, okay. I'll drizzly the moment okay. if, if that's something that's available. But if not, I, I'm i that girl. So I can I can okay. walk in and have a good time. And I'm bringing energy. You're bringing you, yourself. You want me right. there. Yeah. You want me there. I promise. You, you <laughs> want me there. Gotcha. Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, it really depends <laughs> okay. on what I'm walking into. Sometimes I walk into like house functions where it's crowded. It's mm. a lot going on. I wasn't personally invited. It was a last minute thing. And it's just given... I'm going to just show up because I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. Okay. It might be just like a a, drive-through. It might be a laugh to say hello. Okay. But then, but sometimes I do stick around and drink the stuff that's there. (laughs) Um, Are y'all from the South? Just checking here. Jersey. No. Yeah, I was born in the Bronx. Okay, so that's also the difference. Well, perhaps. Raised where in in Virginia? In Virginia, um, Buckingham County, Central Virginia, near Charlottesville. Uh, I know Charlottesville, St. Louis. Okay, okay, got it. So I think part of this for me is generational because I'm on the closer side to 40 than 30. Also, it's very generational. My mama would beat my ass (laughs) if I went to anybody's house without something. And something does not have to be a bottle of Vuv or Don Julio 42, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of an Instagram of it all. Something could be a $30 candle. You know, y'all remember them Yankee uh, mm-hmm. Danny yes. Cannon? It, it's been that before. <laughs> back back, back when that's all I had. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And it was it's a gesture. Sometimes it's uh, a nice bottle. Let me t- put y'all onto some game. A very nice bottle of olive oil oh, is a mm. very nice hostess gift. That's, yeah. a, that's very adult. Like, it's very, very, sophisticated. Adult, very sophisticated. And you can get a very nice bottle of that from the good local Whole Foods or Lincoln Market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Lincoln Market <laughs> for $18. So let's let's expand what that hostess gift can look like. You're right. Yes. You're yeah. going to expand today. Uh-huh. Okay. Bring Expansion. me a candle. Um, Listen, bring me a high level distilled extra, 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 extra virgin <laughs> olive oil. Note it. Yeah. Are you, are you a cook? I, I do. Oh, yeah. okay. Love that. Yeah, definitely coming over for, for, for some food. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have you ever eaten your roommate's food without permission? A roommate? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's that's a joke. Y'all, I was going to say that. That's, that's got to be uh, generational too then. That's also a joke. That's also not living in the Northeast. That's mm, true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The last true. time I had a roommate was college for that reason. Unless you count my first husband. Gotcha. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> oh, that's funny because because Demon Demon calls his fiance his roommate. roommate. <laughs> Depending on how you acting, that's how I made the fuck we might be functioning. But anyways, go ahead. <laughs> so so why did you why did you eat the roommate's food? Um, because it was the I feel like I, I if I was hungry and I'm and I'm usually not that person. Okay, but. And desperate times call for desperate measures. Right. So if the store is closed and there's nothing I can order or that I can just run out to the bodega and get, 
oh, I don't feel like it. Maybe I'll just take a little piece, take a little this, take a little that, and then I'll replace it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's I'm not. Nice. I'm not ghetto and trifling now. Mm-hmm. Oh well. But that's good. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Um, oh, but, you are. As he is. Well, it was. It was <laughs> one good. time. One time, my roommate made these pickles, and I'm really into pickles. Mm-hmm. And it started off with just one one slice of a pickle like a spear one, one spear one spear started off slowly but then i ended up doing like four and then <gasps> i was like i fucked up because now it's noticeable and he, but see this um, is something they that they pickles? made they made them so you need to go like, slice a motherfucking cucumber <laughs> <laughs> and, and and pay that forward you're right it's, it was yeah. years ago should i still do it do you still are you still in contact with this roommate? Yeah, she's like one of my good friends. Oh sister. yeah, you need to give her something. Okay. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Right. <laughs> yeah. And she's probably still if you're holding listening the to this. I'm really sorry. I apologize. And she knows exactly pop- what she's talking about. Yeah. She knows mm-hmm. because I felt terrible, but pickles, man. It really, it really <laughs> sends serious. me. Okay. All right. Have you ever ignored a text or an email and then claimed you didn't see it when you were asked about it? Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes you read it and it's just, it's giving, I don't want to be bothered with this. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when you ask me about it, I'm going to say, I didn't see it. <laughs> so it's just, there's no argument. Just it's, a, it's just, it's just a paragraph. Uh, right. Hold on. Hold on. Take it to I the grave. I didn't see it and you can't make me Tony, see it. Tony taking it to the grave. <laughs> I, I have pretended I didn't see it, but I've also fessed up and just, first of all, I do have the benefit of elderliness now. Okay. Ma'am, ma'am. <laughs> now you know damn well because there's two ways of Ebony responding in my generation. It's going to be immediate or it's going to be not at all. Mm-hmm. Honestly. So, you know, either I respond in real time when it comes through. That's why, like, when you guys were like coordinating your team, he would go bah, 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 bah. because if it wasn't that, yeah. it was going to be August. Yeah. I will say, you, you, were, you were very responsive. Yeah, that. because and if I'm... it's not that, it's the other. <laughs> and I don't want it to be the other. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just, I mean, thank, shout out to iOS for allowing you to mark a text message as unread because mm. I was but like, that's a helpful, like infamous for reading a text message and being like, oh, I'll get back to it and completely forgetting about 100%. it. But also like going it through my mind and being like, I actually don't want to respond to this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, all right. Final scenario. Have you ever posted a picture on social media to make an ex jealous? He's never done that. No, ma'am. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I can, I can, <laughs> I mean, I can I probably can post that, I anything, but my intention is not to make them jealous. Well, yes. I, okay. But can, I, can, they, they may be can jealous. Can we reframe? Right. Have you ever posted a photo knowing that the result of your post <laughs> is going to be the jealousy? <laughs> but it was that's a spiteful bitch. I'm not, is it? Well, maybe not. No, that's it's well. Maybe petty. it's not spiteful. It's it, it, my, I'm not. My intention is not to make you jealous. You might be jealous. That's because what. That's you why. Are. I, that's how I reframe. But it. I'm just yeah. posting. It could be something regular. Not even something sexy. Not mm-hmm. even. I could be just a smiling. Mm-hmm. And because I'm happy. Because you're joyous. You're, yeah. you're, 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 you're mad happiness. about it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but, but you're aware. You know they're gonna be mad. Okay. I'm. A, I might be aware okay. of that. But that's not where. Yeah. Okay. It's an unconscious. Sure. Situation, I guess. Sure. Unconscious. <laughs> or subconscious. Or uh-huh. one of or the... conscious, or... <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So same. Like, I, I, I'm not a child, so I'm not just like, but for your raggedy ass, I'm not posting this. That doesn't happen. I mean, you look at my Instagram. I only have 300 and some posts on, like, the entirety of my entire Instagram. Uh-huh. So I'm not really a big poster anyway. But when I post, do I have awareness that... 
and is is in my DJ Khaled voice, and another one, <laughs> and another bag, right, and yeah. another deal, right, Ooh. and another show, hey. and you still mad, oh. <laughs> you know, and that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, I'm aware. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I sometimes I have to let people know, and I mean, if they get the message, Remind then the fuck you are, then yeah. they're great. But if they don't, then and somebody fine. gonna it's tell them. You know, I I always find a way on that explore mm -hmm. page or in mm -hmm. those in the shared message. Mm -hmm. So, um, don't you love an algorithm? I do. It'll I do. it'll do the work for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody gonna share that surface level. That's clip. it. That's it. <laughs> All right. So a verdict has been reached, and it seems as though I've been found guilty of committing the most petty crimes. Yeah. I probably yeah, should have reworked every some single of these one. Yeah. I know. I, I guess I should have <laughs> thought of these questions it's a little Drake bit differently. Very Drakeish of you. Extremely right. Drakeish. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So in less petty news, um, we asked this question to all of our guests, Ebony. Um, it could be, you know, anything. You can answer this however you would like to. Um, but what are you curious about? Everything. I am a perpetual student. I am a huge nerd. I spend most of my weekends reading, watching documentaries in advance of my most recent episode of Holding Court, which came out just a few days after the most recent Supreme Court warfare path mm -hmm. that's what i'm going to frame that as i actually watched a pbs documentary around clarence thomas and his stinking ass wife jenny Oof. and um you know i i because i'm curious because i'm curious right mm -hmm. what in the world were the circumstances that produced a black man from savannah georgia geechee negro mm -hmm. to Ascend to the highest judicial post in American possibility and choose to move this way as you carry the legacy seat of the Thurgood Marshall. Like, I needed to know yeah. the pieces of the mm -hmm. motherfucking puzzle that put that together. Yeah. Make it make so, sense. Make it make sense. And and it did. Like, actually, so, so when I watched the doc, guys, I realized that Clarence Thomas from the earliest of ages, six, seven, eight years old, when he was matriculating to, uh, uh, what do you call it, secondary school, you mm -hmm. know, elementary school, middle school, and all of this, he was uh, picked on for the darkness of his complexion, mm. for the kink of his hair, mm -hmm. for the broadness of his nose. And these are his words, not mine. The trauma and the racial slurs were made all the worse because they came from the mouths of his own people. Mm. So that already kind of gives us a prism of the disdain, the early formation of the disdain Clarence Thomas has mm -hmm. for his fellow black people, where we become the enemy because of his heartbreak. That trauma. But that the, trauma. I mean, that, I mean, that, part, that piece excuse, is relatable because we all But we all have know probably, stories. Yeah. Sure. Been teased talk, talk white, by our... Think you're a white yeah. girl. This, that, yes. um, and we see it. I'm, I don't really name certain people in the culture that don't deserve to be platformed, but I'm sure we can put our thinking caps on and think of some modern examples of Absolutely. folks that show up in this posture. And I always suspect that it comes from the... It comes. W tell me when black people broke your heart. And I will tell you when you became the enemy of your own people. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. While there's compassion to your point, Tony, and so we can hold the space for how that happens. When you become grown, you got to do your work. You got to do your work to restore that, mm -hmm. that rupture so that you Absolutely. don't show up and carry that forward. So I'm very did, curious. And not do the work. And so um, I want to start here because... Um, 
in your episode, Black Excellence Isn't a Scam, White Mediocrity Is. Which you, was, uh, you know, to give you your flowers was a direct response to the surface level episode entitled Black Excellence is a Scam. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important model, what we're all doing here. And like even this episode, black content creators take note. Realize when there's an opportunity to build upon one another's work. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and do so. Like, you know, you, you you see some content or a podcast or episode or this that, and the third and you feel a way about it. Don't just get in the comments. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But what would it look like if we did the work to create? Yeah. As a yeah. result of that curiosity or that response. Okay, mm -hmm. continue. No, I, I love that. And um, one of the things that you mentioned in this episode um, was that you equated whiteness, not all white people, mm -hmm. but whiteness to mediocrity. Um, I would love if you can briefly expand on that idea for our listeners. Indeed. So not all white people, because white people like black people, like indigenous people are individual. But we, we zoom out. And we talk about constructs of racial construction and categorization. Let's talk about where whiteness comes from. Whiteness comes from, if we want to make it a little bit recent, colonialism. Well, how do we get to a place where colonialism is a global phenomenon? Well, it comes from a perspective where really Eurocentric, and we can even zoom further into the UK, Britain specifically, says that we are not up for the challenge, effort, or energy it will take to compete from a meritocracy lens, mm -hmm. from a resource lens, from an intelligence lens, from a uh, brute physical ability lens globally. We don't want to compete with India. We don't want to compete with Africa. We don't want to compete with other parts of Southeast Asia. We don't want to compete with aspects of even Eastern Europe. So what are we going to do? We're going to colonize. And so when you reverse engineer the why of colonization obviously the united states of america is the best example for those of us born here i'm not do, i'm i'm not doing it with the indigenous people so i'll kill them before i compete with them <laughs> i'll kill them before i fight them for their land i'll kill them before i try to cultivate their land and produce a higher quantity or value than they can do that comes from a posture of mediocrity that come from a posture of, of saying, I don't trust my own skill set. I don't trust my own physical capabilities. I don't trust my own intelligentsia. And so I will cut off my enemy on the front end to avoid competition. So that, is think, so, that is so default a posture of mediocrity. The intellect to even warp that up and put that together in their mind in a way that was like they do you think they knew what they were doing i think that was that totally way? conscious it had to be think about it. it's not it's not rocket science tony it's saying i mean i, I okay let's 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 back it up was, you're giving them a lot of credit let's for being very let, smart let, about going about um i don't know if i think it's so smart i think i think it's really strategic <laughs> i think i think it's really it makes sense yeah okay let's okay. go with africa Let's see, what, what does africa have mm, i'm in the 17 1800s africa has a lot of diamonds a lot of gold, a lot of coffee, a lot of uh, chocolate, a lot of, it, it, it literally has so many, I mean, I could be here all day naming the natural born resources mm -hmm. of the African continent, rubies, emeralds, Tanzania, Tanzanite, right? Um, it has ports of import. Now, when I look at the Africans and I look at myself, if I'm in Britain, um, I don't want no problems. <laughs> I don't want no problems. Mm -hmm. And yet I want what they have. 
So what is my best chance of being able to capture, maintain and uh, benefit from their natural resources? I've got to go full throttle attack mode and and uh, evacerate them. And that is ex indeed where we get colonial. Same with India. I just came back from Mumbai in April for a fabulous week long immersive experience to nurture my what? Curiosity. Mm -hmm. uh, cotton, gold, diamond. Again, like, you know, this is colonial. This is not the brilliance of white people, to your point. It's more so the practicality of white whiteness to say i am not going to even play myself under i'm not i'm not going to fight fair i'm not going to engage in diplomacy and meritocracy that's why the meritocracy of it all is actually the scam mm -hmm. i'm actually going to undermine the whole process and make sure how do i guarantee a result that's a net positive for my me and my progeny okay and that's mm -hmm. to me the the basis of the default the, posture of whiteness as a meritocracy it says that i don't want to even chance it globally so i'm going to just set me and mine above the top of the social global hierarchy and everything else will derive from that there you go so that practicality yes to bring that back yeah that makes a lot of sense to me in that mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was something that really stuck out to me because I like I was sitting there like, okay, like that was not a perspective that I mm -hmm. considered when we did the initial episode, because our initial episode, um, if you haven't listened to it, check it out. We did Definitely a lot of talk out. around like the mental health implications of it. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, when you have your conversation about black excellence, you often talk a lot about, um, you know, our ability or our need to generate wealth for ourselves. Yeah. And so the next question is, um, do we think that black excellence and the concept of black excellence focuses too much mm -hmm. on commercial success and financial gain? So let me say a word about just the phrase black excellence, which mm -hmm. I spent some time on in my episode. Um, and it's a reason why you don't really see it in my book. Right. And bet on black when you read it. And many folks have or listen to it on audible that's available wherever you get your audio books. <clears throat> I find the term black excellence to actually be redundant because mm -hmm. I take a very kind of hard stand posture that says excellence in and of itself, I feel is derivative of African diaspora. I feel that notions of mediocrity or anything below a standard of excellence is not of our nature. It could be adapted. Of course, black people can be mediocre. Clearly, I know I think that. Um, <laughs> the gag. Oh, we get to it. Um, and yet, I think that those are adaptations. I actually think when black folks show up in mediocrity, we are, a, we are acting white. Hmm. I think we're acting fucking white. I think we are acting as if we could afford to show up in a posture that is less than our best. And I don't think that is of our nature and I don't think that's of our DNA. So, and that's a hot take, but that's how I feel about it. Now, back to your question, Jordan. I do feel that black excellence feels like we're saying the same thing over again. Because if you're black, I would, I, I, I challenge, I argue, you by default are excellent. Any choice you make that is other than that, it, that's not reflective of your blackness. That's your shit. Mm -hmm. That's your shit. Um, and so therefore, I don't really subscribe to the term black excellence in that way. Now, to the extent that I know the culture at large uses it kind of generally, yeah. let's yeah. go with it. 
I do not believe there's such a thing as too much reliance on financial wealth aspiration. I'm going to tell you why. As I write about in Bet on Black, the good news about being black in America today. You guys say that good news. Good that's, okay. that's, that's Dustin Ross. Good, the good news. <laughs> Shout out to Dustin Ross. Uh, is because I actually tether money, financial stability, and affluence not to the ability to buy a bunch of Birkin bags and Chopard watches, although that's enjoyable. I actually tether it to liberation. Let's go back. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to pre-emancipation. So before there was a federal government and emancipation proclamation, we all just celebrated Juneteenth rather recently that we had our, our, our nation's so-called birthday of freedom, July 4th. But let's go back before that. But there were black people on this land that were free prior to 1865. Let's talk about how they got to their freedom, how they got to their liberation. They bought it. They bought it. They said, okay, Massa, uh, I know that I'm not going to get wages from you on your plantation, thus the condition of chattel slavery. But guess what? I acquired, I was positioned, I was trained to do shoemaking, horse uh, shoemaking, uh, playing the fiddle, uh, knitting, uh, crocheting, whatever it was, some type of artistry, artisan skill set. And then I could go off and make a little side money from that. If I saved that in a disciplined way, I could buy my freedom. Then I could buy the freedom of my wife. I could buy the freedom of my children. Mm -hmm. From that, you got a wealth class of free black people, free people of color, um, especially for those of us from the Bayou area, which is my heritage of the Creole descendants of African slaves. We became free and emancipated on our own terms prior to the government saying so. And then what did we do? We opened schools. We opened Fisk. We open Howard, you know, so it's mm -hmm. like it's not about the materialism of the wealth, although that is a byproduct of it. If you pay close attention, the ability to earn and have fiscal and economic power is directly tethered to the liberation of who we get to be on this land that only was designed to have us in chattel, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is why home ownership is so important to me as I talk about in my book. Yeah. yeah, one one thing that, that you mentioned, the part about acting white kind of, I have to go back and probably dissect that because, you know, mm -hmm. Ebony says, do your reading, mm -hmm. do your reading. And so I got more reading to do, but mm -hmm. the acting white part. And we all do, yes. me, me, me included. The acting yeah. white part to me is, so because you say that whiteness is, that's what's actually, actually mediocre. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying that black people are acting mediocre mm -hmm. when you say that, right? Yeah. So, but... You're saying mediocre is not what we should be running to. Right. I right. think we should not be running to whiteness. For instance, I mean, I'm just going to say this because it, like, it's, it's a joke, but it's very serious. Um, Dylan, the young man that ran his ice into me, when he does <laughs> shit like that, you acting like a black woman. Oh. That's how I see that. I have a couple of... It takes... You have to be extraordinary for you to be white and me to pay you and be on my team. I have a couple of white people on my team. They work like black people. They work at a level of pure excellence. They go above and motherfucking beyond. And that's mm -hmm. the only reason you are worth my dollar. But that mediocrity shit, that is not of our people. I reject that full force. That is not of our dissonance. That is not of our pedigree. That is not of our DNA. That is uh, assimilating to a posture of white Americana that says just enough should be enough. And I reject it full throttle. Gotcha. Okay. And the other thing to answer the question that we have about black excellence focusing too much on commercial 
success and capitalism, sometimes and just on its face, I, I do feel that sometimes it's that's all you hear about when you when you hear black excellence. Wealth, you wealth, only you only hear about wealth. achievement and well you don't hear about black excellence being the black single mom who's taking care of her children and going to work and coming home, picking up her children, cooking dinner and like that being excellent. Mm -hmm. So that's the conversation I think that we were trying to sort of reframe and bring black 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 excellence back around to or exceptionalism back around to mm. because when you say that you know just being black is on its face excellent which we agree mm -hmm. then some of the we need to stop making black excellence only those things at the top of this achievement scale and ladder Hierarchy. and there can be yeah. other examples of that but you don't hear about enough so i think and that's why i didn't like think you guys's podcast or your overall take from your perspective of that podcast episode was not worth unpacking I, I think we're talking about semantics yeah right like this is a really bit. a conversation i think of semantics how you define black excellence or excellence in and of itself depends on the conversation that you're having so for me the the product of let's even talk about black single motherhood let's just because you you brought it to the table so let's unpack it i was born to a single black mother she happened to not have the benefit of a college degree and this and that and you know she Gloria drove the bus and then she owned the bus and then this and that and you know oh, your, your mom owned the bus yeah well she owned a truck okay she owned an 18 wheeler <laughs> well I love that my yeah. mom owned a truck too yeah and, and, not and, that and, kind of truck but yeah you know well she now, and she got a g-wagon too that i bought her but yes anyway, you know she tricked me in the day that was another story <laughs> but anyway uh i was like bitch what okay uh, <laughs> um but but the point is is that is the common narrative when we think about black single motherhood um someone coming from some place of struggle them um doing this doing that working three jobs making ends meet to provide for their children so that their children can have better and that certainly was my mother's story mm-hmm then enter me, who's about to go into my own second generation of single motherhood. I'm about to do that. I have an embryo transfer schedule for this fall. Now, would most people consider it, quote, black excellence? Probably not pursuant to the, the narrative that we attach to it. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. the excellence narrative are the Claire Huxtable, Heathcliff Huxtable, dual parent right. household. But I just want y'all to just look. Just look. <laughs> no, I really, no, really. I just want you to just take it in. Yeah. And I want you to just take a gander as to the experience that I intend to impart on my child. And, and, right. and then I would challenge anyone, anyone, black, white, male, straight, gay, otherwise, to think it would be anything short of the optimal opportunities an American child should be availed. But that's my point that no a lot of people the conversation is never about that but i think we're expanding it that's yes. that's my point yes. right. that's my point that's why i wrote bet on black is because how things have been y'all is not a way that i accept it to be mm -hmm. how it's been is not how it has to be so what would it look like if we challenged that if we said single motherhood doesn't have to be a struggle story mm -hmm. if we said blackness does not have to be a subordinate narrative if we say whiteness does not have to equate excellence what happens when we blow all that shit up and we start kind of putting the actual facts the actual histories on the table and reconfiguring yeah. what the actuality really looks yes, like yes exactly and i think that's yeah. the reason why we wanted to have the conversation is because we understood that the popular definition or the popular understanding of black excellence is very narrow right when we talk about or when black excellence is brought up in the context of maybe our peers mm -hmm. you know it's coming from 
Forbes magazine. It's coming mm-hmm. from HBO. It's coming from the Pulitzer Prize administration. It's not necessarily coming from like you having this perspective mm-hmm. of history yes. and sort of what we came from. I think people are looking at the words black excellence and they're thinking like, I need to be a celebrity. I need to be mm-hmm. a billionaire. Mm-hmm. I need to be, you know, I need to have this big grand gesture of recognition of mm-hmm. my contribution to society at large. I gotta be special. I have to be special. Yeah. And if I'm not, I'm not excellent. Mm-hmm. And I think that what- And not realizing kind of that, be- that being just your being Exactly is right. So that's that's what you're saying, Jordan. Is the 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 ruda in the tuda, my grandma would say. Right. So if we start with the ruda in the tuda of dismissing a narrative that says blackness in and of itself is not already excellent. Now, again, you can you can diverge from that. You can be a black person and you can make choices that take you off a path of excellence. Let's be clear. There's a lot of mediocre motherfuckers walking around and, y- and y'all know I've talked about them. And I will, <laughs> and I will continue to, you coddled C and D students, you. <laughs> and yet, I believe, based off of my reading, based off the teachings, of, when you show me a Frederick Douglass who was born into chattel slavery on the, cul- the, the gulfs and the shores of Maryland and that DMV area, and this is a young black enslaved child who doesn't know how to read nor write and essentially teaches himself both, both in a mm-hmm. time where the, the consequence of that is death because he tricks the white uh, p- plantation playmate. Who's the probably his half brother. Who's probably his massa's other son. Mm-hmm. Catch that T. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> and he says, I bet you can't spell cat. White boy says, yes, I can. It's C-A-T. Douglas says, oh, I bet, <laughs> bitch. C-A-T, I got it. <laughs> That's if that's not excellence, I don't know what is. So for me, for Ebony K. Williams, that is the blood that coils through these veins, not anything else. So anything that says I'm going to sit around and just be all right with uh, medium effort, minimum effort while I showed up and that was enough. Bitch, I don't know what that is because that's not me. I'm Douglas's child. I'm Baldwin's child. I'm the child of Harriet Tubman that said, come the fuck on, motherfuckers. We going up north, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So, and that's what I write about in Bet on Black. And that's why I wrote the book, y'all, is because when you really know the true tea, the true narrative, the true storytelling, you realize that these aren't unicorns. Douglas, uh, Ida B. Wells, uh, Dorothy Height. You know, I'll be here all day. These are not unicorns. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Stokely Carmichael. The, this is the norm of who we come from. And we have been bamboozled brainwashed what's the new term gaslit to believe otherwise um mm-hmm. but that and that's why when you go down to the a uh, little florida that's why when mm-hmm. you go to tennessee that's why when we look at the current headlines y'all of uh legislatures and governors that are looking to work overtime willing to risk their entire political life to ban books to ban the teaching of black studies and black academic awareness that is how consequential it is because they know if we fucking really know y'all we're gonna know that we not we were never the motherfuckers that were mediocre in the first place it was y'all so the, that's why I get really excited. I mm-hmm. love Black Excellence. I love Howard University. And that's why I was really excited to see that you guys have done what you've done from an origin story of the Mecca. Mm-hmm. You know, that's important, especially when you've got a Supreme Court that has just said as of last week, uh, many of the so-called elite predominantly white institutions like my alma mater, UNC Chapel Hill, 
mm-hmm. Harvard University, Dartmouth, Brown, U- University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, UVA will no longer be even permitted to consider race as a consideration for admissions. And many black folks, we, we grab our pearls and we say, oh, dear God, what are we to do? We move forward. We move forward as we always have. We say we were never relying upon whiteness to advance us in the first place. We've always been our own emancipators. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. The Civil War was only one. It was, they about to lose that shit. Let's, let me just, let me just take a minute. Let's, let, cause, cause people don't know this. They be talking about Abe and shit. Abe was, Abe was whatever. Abe actually did not, when you read his writings, did not even believe in black Americans truly being of significant equal value to white people. But what he did believe in was winning. And I'm not mad at that. So when he saw the union was looking fucked up in the <laughs> war, he said, oh no, this ain't gonna go. Uh, Douglas, Frederick Douglass, this same ancestor of greatness and excellence, that of course is through my veins, said, let me holler at you, Abe. Let me tell you what you need to do to turn this shit around. You need to allow these black uh, enslaved fighters, patriots, you need to allow them their freedom so they could gallivant up north and they could be a part of the union forces. And that's what happened. And Mm -hmm. that, my dear sirs and and ma'ams, is exactly how the United States of America was able to be successful and intact in a civil war. We emancipated. Don't don't buy that shit. That he's he's the white emancipator and Abe. Look at the That's whatever. That it, we freed ourselves and we always have. So so I'm very very serious, y'all, when it comes to the narrative building um, of who we are. And I think the more that we really understand that from a historical lens, mm-hmm. rather, the more we will not resent our advancement. Because I do think there is a moment. There's a cultural backlash to y'all's episode. Um, uh, the, the, uh, so many of my friends uh, participate on the, the new fabulous hit show on Bravo, Summer House, Martha's Vineyard. Yes. Mm-hmm. They've had this conversation as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think we got to be real careful as the benefactors. And let's be clear, we are the benefactors mm-hmm. of the advancements of the black Americans who have come before us and created these opportunities where we all get to sit here as college graduates. We get to sit here as AKAs and alphas and deltas and kappas and Qs and, and PhDs and JDs and DDSs. And we want to scrutinize black excellence from the, from the purchase of the higher echelon of black life. I think we have to be careful. Yeah. I mean, speaking about like the higher echelon, um, I think that, what I'm seeing a lot of is sort of like this divide, right? With the people who are quote unquote, the face value definition of black excellence, Mm -hmm. sort of gatekeeping opportunities and gatekeeping Mm -hmm. um, resources for people that they personally deem to not be excellent, Mm -hmm. whether that's how they physically appear or how Mm -hmm. they, you know, show up in a professional space or how Mm -hmm. much monetary gain they're able to offer. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm curious if you think that the current state of black excellence and the way that it's being promoted um, socially Mm -hmm. is creating like a level of elitism within our community. So we've always had a level of elitism, right? Again, when you know your history, you know, whether this, whether this is a Du Boisian talented 10 theory, mm-hmm. whether it's a Booker T. Washington, the best pathway to black liberation and success is through vocation. You know, this is kind of the bus driver of it all, right? Because that's exactly what that conversation really came down to. Yeah. Right. Right. Is is, is the best pathway to black stability in America through vocational so-called quote blue collar work or does it come from the intelligentsia class of quote white collar existence Mm -hmm. and what 
we are blessed and fortunate enough to engage in today, I, I submit, is both. We yeah. no longer have to pick nor choose. We get to be both, which is incredible. Uh, but I do think the divide exists, Jordan. I think the divide is inflamed by some of us who participate in the elite class. And I talk about this on my recent episode of Holding Court, the affirmative warfare episode in my breakdown of Clarence Thomas. So I think there's three types of black elites. The first is the simple type, literally simpleton. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to motherfucking be here. Thank y'all for letting me in. I appreciate it. I ain't going to touch nothing. I ain't going to do nothing. Good night. Simple. <laughs> happy to be here. Number two, this is your Clarence Thomas type. This is the type that went to University of North Carolina Chapel Hill with me. These are the gatekeepers. Hmm. I believe in scarcity. I believe that there will only be but so few of us blacks allowed to participate in the upper echelon of American life. I believe on some level in the legitimacy of us being subscribed to the subordination of American life. And I will carry the water. To make sure that I will be the last of the ascended. Mm -hmm. I will shut that door on opportunity as fast as my fucking hands can do. I will pull up that ladder from other black people as fast as my little hands can do it. Because I am terrified of what will happen to my positioning mm -hmm. and the positioning of my legacy and progeny children and grandchildren mm -hmm. if too many other blacks get the advantage that I have received. And also the self-hate of it all. And the mm -hmm. self-hate of and it all. And the trauma. And I, and I low-key want to wanna, wanna give it to you because I felt you gave it to me. Right. Then there's the third type. And this is a very, I think this is really a very hard category to be in, which I would probably put myself in this number. We, we benefit from the privileges of black elitism for a, a number of ways. It could be what we look like. It could be an estate. It could be a colorism thing. It could be. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, let's just be honest. I talk about this in Bet on Black. There's no way I get to write a book called Bet on Black. The good news about being black in America and not address honestly and candidly the very obvious benefits I have received. Yeah, because I look about, a certain way. You address that responsibility. To not do so yeah. is to, to to devastate the progress. Right. Let's be clear. Mm -hmm. So it, some of us benefit. Which is what Clarence is doing. Oh, uh, beyond devastating. <laughs> uh, in a word, tell me. Dev devastating. Okay. okay. If so, devastating was a person. So right. So some of us, we are we are in this space through aesthetic privilege. We are in this space through academic privilege. Maybe mm -hmm. we had a teacher that said, "You seem a little bit special. You coloring a little bit faster than the other students." Because. Look, 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 we talking about right like i know i was tracked for academically gifted ag ib all this shit like like in first grade what was i doing that was so much better than the other black kids get the fuck out of here i, you I know? was also in the gifted intelligence yeah, but like, what were we really doing did yeah. we say two plus yeah. two is four like three seconds faster than the other I kids get it, i thought I it was no just idea. given regular no, no idea. That, like when my mom was like teaching me things and stuff i'm like okay this is not yeah this is not wild for me to understand what this no, which yeah. you're affirming my point, Jordan, yeah. which is that if more of us got tracked, identified, mm -hmm. selected to participate in that trajectory right. of academic secession, more of us would be qualified for these higher learning institutions. Because the reality is, and a lot of black elites going to get mad when I say this, we actually are not that fucking special. We're not. 
Who's We're not, not that special? And I'm not black elite, am I? You are. Oh. Um, but but yeah. I don't, I, believe it or not, you definitely Top are. I don't carry myself as black elite, but, but, in but I, but I. Yeah. You think you're really I, special? But, but Lizzo said I was. Okay. <laughs> I know you're being sweet, but like I, the reality is we're really not like the, And that's to me, that's the good news. The good news is not that we don't work hard, not that we don't have intelligence and smarts and we look good and we got our beauty and our aesthetic, but it's the reality impossible. is, right, the reality is how many others of us like us do we know? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. we're we're not the unicorns that the world Absolutely. would have us to be. Especially when you we're go to a Howard University and you, you when you go to you, a you Howard, are, you are a prom king and queen and homecoming king and queen. And, and, you, get that to that and you come to a place where it's like everyone is equal playing ground. Because guess what? Everybody was homecoming queen, yep. yearbook chief, uh, uh, student body president. Mm -hmm. Everybody was head of the class, valedictorian, everybody's top 10%. Everybody has a 1250 plus SAT. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a 4.0 plus weighted GPA. Get the fuck out of here. Like, let's tell the truth. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's tell the truth. And see, okay. this is where people start to get nervous. Heavy on the weighted. Heavy on the weighted. <laughs> and, and, if you, and if you listen to this and, and that felt you felt something about that, then I'm talking to you. Okay? Okay? okay get the fuck out of here with this AP environmental science shit. Get the fuck out of here. So, <laughs> I'm talking to us like let's really talk about it yeah. and see the problem when with even let's go to bus driver gate mm -hmm. it wasn't so much what i said because a lot of things have happened in pop culture even since that controversy so to speak has including kiki palmer and this mm. broke ass man trying to police mm. her Ooh. and see that's what happened when you date the bus driver Child. <laughs> <laughs> okay. you know i had the same Listen. exact conversation with one of my straight girlfriends i'm a link and my, and my straight girlfriend mm -hmm. high earner at amazon mm -hmm. everything like that and i asked her i was like what do you think about this ebony k williams um narrative because i think i agree and what is and what she is was she just say? like you know her and she was I her, sis, her sister's pickles. Um, oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> but she was just like, I can understand this because I actually dated somebody for X amount of years mm -hmm. who, um, you know, didn't like operate in the same income bracket as sure. me. And over time, there was resentment because of the, I guess, the, the patriarchy and understanding mm -hmm. like what they feel like a woman's role should be in comparison mm -hmm. to the sure. man's role in a relationship. And that tension just exploded Re yeah, it at just, some point and so for her she was just like I agree she was like the next relationship I'm going into they need to understand where I'm coming from they need to not be intimidated where I'm mm -hmm. coming from and it, it's not like it's impossible to find that in a bus driver but it's way more I think it's a higher success rate to find that comfort on that level when it comes to earning with someone who's in the vicinity and let's not act like I didn't say I would literally date someone who owned the bus now, but also I, think some people I, don't know that, I don't know why it's such a big deal to like what you like but also yeah tony of course we can like what we like but i want to go i want to challenge people a little further because i think people are full of shit on this well yes because when i say i date the bus driver y'all act like i said i'll only date a yale neurosurgeon i didn't say that because that's not true because mm -hmm. sometimes depending on your situation you played yourself too sir mm -hmm. Okay. okay. I know several attorneys. I mean, everybody, well, if it was a lot, no, it's a lot of lawyers I've had to dismiss. Okay. I had to <laughs> dismiss. <laughs> okay. Because, because you're playing yourself, sir, because you're sitting here earning, yeah, maybe you're earning three, four, six hundred, even thousand dollars a year, but you're making how many millions for this particular white shoe firm yeah. because of your inability to take a bet on yourself. 
You see what I'm saying? Right. Like when you really get to the T, that's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. So if you bought a bus, you are which you can buy by the way for fifteen, twenty thousand dollars used. My mother bought tractor trailers. I'm dead serious. My mother bought tractor trailers for eighteen thousand dollars, twelve thousand dollars, put them on the road and made hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. It's doable. So when you own the bus and I date you, a couple things happen. Number one, you have an income control situation that I can relate to and respect. Also, I'm willing to take that risk with you. Mm-hmm. Nobody acknowledges that part. Mm-hmm. I'm actually more comfortable, y'all, dating a, a, a man, because only because I'm heterosexual. I'm more comfortable dating a man who is willing to in, in, endure the same financial risk that I endure as a fellow entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is power. Yeah. Going back to the kiki of it all. This is not about income. So I really don't understand why people went to, well, bus drivers well, make $150,000. Bus drivers make $250,000. Bus drivers make $300,000. Mm-hmm. A bus driver can make $600,000. That's actually not my concern, ma'am. My concern is that where are we equally yoked in terms of liberation, in terms of control? As mm-hmm. you said, because that's the kiki of it all. This the fact is, is that Kiki makes more money than this man. That's the part of it. The other part of it is, sir, you cannot police this woman because as much as we all want to act like we're post-gender roles in America, we're not. Mm-hmm. We're not. We saw that in this scenario. He's he when it came down to the come down, despite Kiki's fame, credibility, financial income, this man hear her with, but you're a mom. But you're a mom. I gagged. Mm-hmm. And the gag is, <laughs> she is a mom, but bitch, she's still out here and beautiful and can do what she wants. I, that was, it's so bizarre to me. He's just not in position to say so anything. Bizarre. And that's why the money part matters. I'm not saying it should or would. I didn't make these gender roles. We mm-hmm. only play by them. Especially I mean, I wonder, but if he yeah. had money, he might still say the, like you said, he's still capable of making that comment regardless. Oh, He's and anybody at any comment, income level. But, can, but, yeah. but, but now it gets complicated because now we have to just wonder Let's say, <laughs> let's say he wasn't Darius and let's say he was just for the sake of argument, who's out here c- killing it these days. Let's say he was, can't say Jay-Z. We can't say Puff. <laughs> Who else is just really dominating? I mean, we can, we can say, maybe we can Beyonce. say Drake. No, I'm kidding. Let's say Drake. <laughs> let's say Drake. Let's say Drake. Let's say Drake. Yeah. No, let's say Drake. Okay. She said Beyonce. Right. Yeah. Well, when in doubt. Well now, well, well, now, well, now, if we want to really talk about it. <laughs> um, but let's say Drake. If it was Drake, is, is she gagging at Usher in the same way? Maybe, maybe, but maybe not. To be when mm. you when you manipulate the hypothetical like that. Mm-hmm. Because I personally, that's my take. I think that brother felt a way because he realized that when Kiki looked at Usher, she, right. he saw a look that he ain't never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> she ain't never looked at yeah. your broke, stupid ass like that before. Listen, the internet Let's caught that too as well. Because I was reading, about I was just like, oh, I was like, I didn't notice but that. He's, uh, he's not bad looking, so. It's not about it's him not being a, bad it's, looking. It's, it's and that's my so, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's my point. And that's what everybody went to miss with the bus driver gate. Like, well, what about if he's a good man? And what if he's cute? And what if he's this bitch? Uh, the reality. Let's, let's just talk about. He ain't got as much money, status, etc., etc., and, and, and power. Tony, power, 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 power. And again, I know that we want to live in this PC culture where these things don't matter, and women <laughs> and men are all equal, and da, da da da. And that's a bunch of crock bullshit. Because the reality is this: women are still evaluated on the following: our youth, which I found out very much so. Did y'all know I was fifty? 
top 50. Child, girl, shut up. Right. But that was when that became the narrative, right? She's so old okay. that she's not in position to desire anything particular. Oh my God, I hate that. But that, that became the narrative, so right? Right, yeah. yeah. And guess what? Yeah. I'm not even going to get in my feelings about it because to some extent it is valid. The reality is in this nation and globally, women's currency runs through the following verticals. Our youth, our fertility, our physical attractiveness, and our ability to show up and create a nurturing, warm environment. Yeah. Th those are the feminine values. Now let's talk about the masculine ones. Hmm. Provision, motherfucker, can you provide? <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you have the bag? Do you have the money? Let me go to the second one in order. Protection. Can you protect physical posture, ability? You know what I mean? If some shit popping off, can you say, hold the fuck up, hold the phone. Mm -hmm. That's my lady. That's my wife. That's the mother of my child. You got to go through me to get to her. Women value that. So that ability to protect and provide women highly value. We value it more than your good looks. We value it more than the, the, the butterflies and the feelings of quote love. We really value that. And some men are really upset. Why? Because I understand systemic things, mass incarceration, uh, the discrepancy of black children in education systems, mm -hmm. uh, healthcare, all the things have made it such that it's really difficult for men in general and black men in particular to get to high positions of provision and, and protection. And thus they feel away. That's that's the Kevin Samuels of it all. Is the reality is that America, but but let's let's like really go there, right? <laughs> America has made it very difficult for a huge number. There's always gonna be some black men to just go get it. Let's be clear. Mm -hmm. Let's be fucking clear. I know them, y'all know them. Mm -hmm. And and most of them are what married. <laughs> they are. They are. Yeah. But outside of those, when we talk about the mass numbers of black men in America, cross gender and, and um, sexual orientation, it's very difficult for black men to be in the, because um, that's what the, the Kevin Semis of it all, right? Like, like when you say you want a black man that makes over $150,000, you're talking about the top 5%, 8%, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. uh, and that's saying a lot. But then when you equate that to the black woman for, for a litany of reasons, not that we don't have racism and structural oppression, but there's some other things that just make it so talk to an educator. They will all tell you the same thing in their classrooms for some particular reasons, black girls are succeeding at a rate that outseeds black boys. Mm -hmm. It's happening. Washington Post just put out an article just not even a month ago. HBCUs, but for Morehouse. But for Morehouse, every single HBCU in America now has two black girl students to every one male one, mm -hmm. including we including Howard. We were there, including yeah. Howard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why y'all was hoeing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's why y'all was hoeing. <laughs> Not that specifically. Oh, Not sure. specifically. Sure, sure y'all sure weren't. The, you know, sure y'all weren't. Well, the straight boys was though. Absolutely, because they could. <laughs> right. No, yeah. and that was very, and that was so, very. So when we can have this conversation, and I so appreciate y'all for just holding the space for this, right? When we can have this conversation, honestly, and talk about the impact all of these elements will have to the black family and to black generational everything, wealth, expansion, um, 
all the things, that's when we can really get to the business of preserving black community. But it, but until we want to be stuck in our feelings, because she said this and she talked about season these, and she did this, <laughs> now, then we're going to stay stuck. But what we really need to do is get unstuck and really talk about where black women, quite frankly, are willing to make some comp, are willing to look at, let me say it that way, y'all, willing to look at our understandable expectations of men and where men are willing to reevaluate what is going to now be required to come to the table and adequately partner with the black women of today's era because we're no longer just working in domestics because that, two generations ago black women were that Black women mm -hmm. were working in domestic spaces. Mm -hmm. Black women were at best teachers and nurses at best. Mm -hmm. But now black women are physicians. Black women are lawyers. Black women are accountants. Black women are C-suite executives. And that gap, and we're not talking about a $50,000 gap. That was the other mm -hmm. thing lost in that bus driver gate conversation. Y'all was talking about, well, he made 120 and we made, bitch, we're not talking about 170. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about, not talking about that. Mm -hmm. We're talking about women that make five and six hundred thousand dollars a year and more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's what we're really talking about. So who are these women to partner with? And if it is a man who makes two hundred thousand, let's make that make some sense. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the mental health of it all, okay. because that comes into play when we talk about black excellence and this this broad conversation. And I want to start this off here. Because I found not something the online. Okay, yeah, you know, I, need, I need my specs, honey. Yeah. I so, like those tortoiseshell specs. Listen, first of all, July, which I didn't know this, is National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. And according to a study published by the CDC earlier this year that took place over the course of 2018 to 2020, rates of mental health related emergency department visits by race were highest mm. among black adults, 96.8 visits per 1,000 adults. And rates of emergency department visits for specific mental health disorders, including substance abuse, mm. including anxiety, mm. including mood disorders were also highest among black adults. And so with this black excellence conversation, I wanna know, should we be paying more attention to the mental health and physical exhaustion that comes with working twice as hard to get half as much? And when I think about a couple of, of examples that were very prominent in the media at one point, I'm thinking about our athletes mm -hmm. right now. I'm thinking about Naomi Osaka, mm -hmm. who pulled out of the French Open. I'm thinking about Simone Biles, mm -hmm. who pulled out of the Tokyo Games, and they were met with very harsh criticism. And a lot of it was probably due to having to, well, not the criticism, but why they pulled out was their mental health and having to live up to this standard of excellence. And that That's being- reserved for, for black people a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do we think about that? Should we be focusing more on that mental health aspect? Because that's a real thing. So I think, I see a conflation here, gentlemen. Okay. I see, first of all, you already know I ride with Naomi and- um, Simone Biles, because I cited them when I took my social media hiatus during my Roni season. If you recall, going into the Luann angry black woman Sag Harbor episode, oh, yeah. remember that? I, I said, I'm 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 a, I'm a step away in the spirit, and I named those sisters, those titans, those champions. 
in the spirit of Naomi, um, I'm going to protect my priority, which is myself and my mental health. And I did take a step back. So I'm all for that. I think the issue, Jordan, for me, though, is a paradigm in which the twice as hard for half as much. Let's spend some time on that. My tagline, which I don't give a fuck. It was one of the best <laughs> taglines of any housewife ever. <laughs> it was. I've worked twice as hard for half as much, but now I'm coming for everything. Let's focus on the everything. So I think when black people start working twice as hard and we stop doing it for half as much, but we essentially start doing it for twice as much because that's where I think the competitive advantage lies. So that, that's really what I'm saying. What I'm saying, and, and there's still going to be some people that disagree and that's okay. But what I'm saying is don't, the, 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 the anecdote to our positioning as behind in America and globally is not to work less, it's to work more and stop accepting less, start demanding more. And it's a demand. And this is where people get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So what you saw, for instance, let's go to my episode, my season rather of Roni. What you saw that a lot of people felt a way about, that felt uncomfortable by. Oh my God, nah. you saw what yeah, demand. They said, they said you were preaching. What, what they say, Tony? They what they say? Preachy. Don't, 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 don't be they quiet you, now, they, motherfucker. I'm not being what, quiet. What they say? They, they said you were preachy on the mm -hmm. on the show. They said you were mm -hmm. preachy, and I didn't feel that way. But like, but some people you, did. Yeah, a lot. Mm -hmm. They were they were saying you were preachy, and why would she go about this? And it was a lot of talking. It was like every time she opens her mouth, it's this same. It's it's. It's who you are. You're, you're, I, don't, yeah. I don't think you're not in education, but a yeah. lot of what you do... Is I'm a teacher. Yeah. Well, I'm a so, first of all, I'm a genius. Okay? That's first of all. Okay? Let's That's first that of all. Let's okay. get that straight. I'm a fucking academic scholar, bitch. <laughs> Otherwise, explain me being at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill on a full academic ride at 16, bitch. Were you? No. You were in fucking 10th grade. So, <laughs> um, that's, I mean, let's just... Okay. Um... That's what a demand looks like. That's what I would challenge people to say. Was it preachy? Sure. As Baldwin would say, he never left the pulpit. Mm -hmm. It was pre. I'm, I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple. You're in the company of a disciple. You are looking at God's work. You are looking at somebody who receives unapologetically the gifts of her father and says, I'm going to put them to good use. And if people get uncomfortable, if they don't like it, if they shrink, if they get angry, if they reject it, if they try to run out of their own fucking apartment on the Upper East Side only to come back and coddle it, oh my God, please make me warm. That's <laughs> what demand looks like. So when Douglas says power concedes nothing without a demand, it never did, it never will. What many of you witnessed on season 13 of Real Housewives of New York was what a demand looks like. See, we like to say these quotes as black people. We like to put up these memes on yeah. social media. We like, we like these sayings. But then when you see it executed, mm -hmm. we, we, we feel away. So what about the mental health of it all? I'm telling you, the mental health like, of it all. First of all, the mental health of it all, two things. Back to me taking my own mental health leave. So obviously, I'm in full support of doing any and everything to preserve the mental health. Yeah. I also think some of the mental health, when we frame it from this point, Tony, that the mental health consequence comes from the striving of excellence, I rebuke that. I don't think that's where the mental health challenge comes from. Okay. I think Explain. the mental health challenge comes from us equating the barometer of what is deemed to be excellent from white posture. So you're taking it back to the root, 
where we started. We got, we got to go to the rooter to the tutor. <laughs> with all of this. Okay, to the rooter. No, but really. So when you say you have to win Wilmington, well, Wimbledon, rather. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm from North Carolina. I was at Wilmington. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say you must win Wimbledon or you must win the Open or you must do this, that or the third in order to be excellent, that will contribute to um, a stress and anxiety that I do think feeds the statistics that you read off. Mm -hmm. But I think when we divorce, this is why the importance of the divorce of white approval and, and, and then the, to catch this tea. The importance of the divorce from black collective buy-in. Mm -hmm. If you're waiting on all your people to agree with the way you do shit, you're going to be waiting. Because there were people, let's go back to Naomi and uh, Simone. Mm -hmm. When they respectively pulled out or took breaks, there were people in the black community that said, y'all are quitters. They said, we're disappointed in you. Mm -hmm. How, what was your take on that? Did you? Were you, you already did, know my take. My take was, they, I were, they, pull, were I, they quitters? Were they, were you disappointed? Tony, what are you talking about, baby? I already told you. I, I pulled, I used their car. I used their fucking uh, take. I said, I'm actually pulling from the uh, Naomi Osaka playbook. And I'm going to preserve myself because I'm more important than you. That's what Naomi is saying. Right. Um, that's what Simone was saying. We're just now seeing Simone come back after over a year hiatus mm -hmm. where she's saying I and my sanity and my wholeness and my health is more important than these meets, yep. than these championships and then and these medals. And I beyond support that i am yeah. beyond in agreement with those queens doing that because just like just like we talk about these jobs that's mm -hmm. all they do all any of us do are go to jobs Ooh. right mm -hmm. that's that's it Don't so some of us might be going to the olympics some of us might be going to the grammys or the naacp awards or whatever and some people might be going to microsoft <laughs> or some people might be going to uh charlotte mecklenburg public schools and some people might be going to wells fargo Mm -hmm. We're all just going where we respectively are compensated. And when you say Wells Fargo, if I die tomorrow, it's still going to be open for business. The United States Olympic Committee, if I drop dead tomorrow, it's still open for business. Look at this black woman that just dropped dead after childbirth running track just recently. Mm -hmm. They're still open for business. So if, as black people and black women and black men and black non-binary individuals, if we don't start saying... I am the priority. We will continue to die. It's not any more complicated than that. So I believe in the preservation of our mental health. What I don't agree with, Tony, is the conflation that it is our pursuit of excellence that is killing us. No, sir. It is our pursuit of white celebration. Of our pursuit of white. See, now that's deep. Yeah, it's it's our pursuit yeah. of white approval that is killing that us. That is, well, and you know, not that's really. Not, yeah, I could that, edit, that I could get behind. Yeah, yeah, y'all can edit all this shit down to just this part, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, we've been talking for about two hours, but, but really, the important behind. part is no, this. all of this. Yeah, no, all but of but you work, know what I mean. Yeah. It's not the pursuit of excellence that's killing us. It's the pursuit of white applause. I think that you explained that so beautifully, Ebony, mm -hmm. because I was one of the people that was critical of your. Oh, you think your, I missed your... that light skin? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was. I was, I was. I was. I was. I was. I was. But I loved I was, it. I was critical. But I loved it. You know, it, and, it was honest. And I had. I had. I remember watching your season and feeling like, you know, this is not my style. Yeah. This is not how I would enter Approach into this it. system. Yeah. If I felt like I wanted to be very strategic with my time there, and honestly, I can say now that that was coming out of a place of fear mm -hmm. and feeling like. 
oh, if these people don't like me, I'm putting myself in your position. Sure, if these people sure. don't like me, what does my future look mm -hmm. like on this show? Mm -hmm. And so that's where I was coming from. And I think that even now, and Tony has known me for over 10 years now, and yeah. he knows my personality and he knows that I play it safe in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that this podcast has been an experience that's honestly given me so much confidence in being mm -hmm. able to say my opinion because I'm finally seeing people react negatively to what I have to say and I'm realizing that it's not the end of the fucking and world. And you survive. And I'm, and I'm realizing <laughs> no, that. I'm, so yes. I was going to say, it's funny because you're saying you play a safe, Jordan, and yet because of my exposure to you, I don't, I don't see you as a safe player. I see you as a risk taker. I see you as a grown ass man who's willing to sit up here in his beauty, in his intelligence, in his confidence, in his competence and say, this is this is my take. This is my feel. And that is liberation. Gentlemen, the liberation is saying that I might be standing in the cold to your point of knowing that the way I chose to approach Real Housewives of New York was going to leave me isolated. And you are exactly you weren't wrong. Mm -hmm. Let me be, let's be very clear. Clearly, you weren't <laughs> wrong. Um, and yet I made a decision because I'm many things. But one thing I'm never is not thoughtful. I made a calculated decision. I did the math that said I would rather stand in the cold by myself and know that I showed up with a demand for these women to make the space for a beautiful, educated, kind hearted and when you really go back and you actually watch Roni season 13, like actually watch it, not the blogs, I not the it. things. No, I know y'all watch it. But if you were to watch it again, just I'm not saying to do so, mm -hmm. but but people that are watching it, for, for instance, for the first time globally, for instance, mm -hmm. right, that mm -hmm. I'm hearing from, you know what? Their, their feedback is so different than, than, than the domestic feedback. Their feedback is, oh, my God, you were actually so kind to Ramona. Oof. You were actually so patient, patient. Mm hmm. You were so willing to meet her where beyond half, where, where not because the bitch wasn't halfway. <laughs> Let's be clear. Where she, where she was, which was, which was very okay. low. How low can you go? Hey, was under the basement. Hey, okay, was under the basement. That's it. So it's really interesting what some people. Um, would call radical, would call aggressive on my part, would call, oh my God, why is she going in so hard and rough and aggressive? When you, when you zoom out, it was only perceived that way because of our expectation of how most people coddle white women. Mm. That's it. Mm -hmm. How most people coddle white women of, white women of a particular era mm -hmm. and white women of a particular social standing. Now catch this to you and then we can move on to y'all's conclusion. The real challenge between myself and my castmates on Real Housewives of New York wasn't just the black and white of it. What it really, what y'all really saw come to a head were different calculations of social currency. So when you think about Housewives mm -hmm. and what makes that franchise, all those franchises pop okay. is it's, it's the social currency. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, right. So when, remember when Atlanta first started, most of them were married to what? Professional athletes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Remember? Well, who, what's the team on who brought you in as the first black member? Oh, the, Bravo. It was no, oh, it was okay. no other housewife. Okay. So you had no affiliation with any of those, no, no, those no, no, broads? No, no, no. And, and in, in fact, none of the black women who were considered not Brashawn, not Alicia. Well, Alicia, of course, has some relationship with Lou and maybe Sonia. But okay. most, of, uh, most of the like profiled black women that ended up being in the last round, so to speak, mm -hmm. not, because the reality is, and this is part of the problem of integrating a show like this those shows all work best because i'm a fan of reality tv 
But when are they best, y'all? When it's when a they, real group of when friends. They know each other. Mm-hmm. When it's family karma. Yeah. When it's Shaws of Sunset. Mm-hmm. When it's MJ and Reza and them and Gigi who go back back. Yeah. Right. Well, even when it was the original Real Housewives of New York, when it was Sheree and Nene and, and Kim. I'm in Atlanta. And, in Atlanta. and, and uh, what did I say? LA. I mean, yeah, I'm in Atlanta. Yeah, it's, it's people with real organic relationships. Yeah. And the reality is because of America, <laughs> the particular women on Real Housewives of New York had no authentic relationships with any women that weren't white. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. Did they have a bitch that they might bring to the Hamptons party, <laughs> you know, the, the last week of August <laughs> for the picture? I mean, let's just come on. I no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. had that hoe. But, but did they have someone that they fucking rode right. with? No. Not at all. And guess what? I'm not condemning it because the stat, the, the statistics, rather, the data shows that most of us socialize in racially and socioeconomically homogenous groups. Mm-hmm. I'll be the first that. to tell you that the majority of my friends are black women. Do I have non-black women friends? I do. They might be seven or eight max. And it just so happens, statistically, white women normally have zero to one non-white mm-hmm. friends. Not surprised. Right. Yeah. So they didn't have that. So that's how I was casted, Tony, to get to that. No, okay. no, no and none of us knew these hoes. And they were, <laughs> by the way, they were also very upset, not just that we were being integrated as black women. They were upset that they felt that we were younger. And they, they they're not that, stupid. That, that also was a fact. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That right. fact. Clearly, it's a fact. Mm-hmm. Like 30 years younger than Ramona. Because you know, Ramona like about 66. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. So, so there's also that. After 19. That, like, more right. educated. That. So, so that's what I'm saying. So let's go to the social currency. So that's, that's really more so the issue even than just the race, I believe, now that I've lived it. They were, they were put off by my blackness because in a social order of Americana, blackness is kind of last when it comes to where we're going to place value. It goes like this, and this is per academic study, whiteness, Asian. Then you've got your swarthy whites, which can be your Jewish people, your Italians, Irish, whatever. Then you've got your, um, what do you call it? Um, Latino, whatever. Mm -hmm. Then you've got black. And then at the very bottom is actually indigenous because they're most threatened by them because y'all harmed them actually the worst. Because you stole all that goddamn land. Okay, so you got this black bitch who you don't really pay much attention to because socially she's not a a lot of currency. But then you realize all these things about her over time after she's been cast. Mm -hmm. She's she's 30 years younger than you, Ramona. Mm -hmm. And 20 years younger than you, Luann and Sonia. She's got not one but two doctorates. Mm -hmm. She uh, is beautiful she's a bona fide beauty queen she has the crowns to prove it no li- like that's just a fact i'm not mm-hmm. saying you're not i mean you can't because it's what you can't guess what never. you cannot guess what i wish you i wish you would, I would but no, I just, I just, <laughs> listen listen this is, how, this is how i talk about myself yeah and i don't have i don't have the the but you don't have to the official title but guess what she's a certified beauty queen she's a certified beauty queen Okay, this bitch is coming here with a real with real bags, not fake ones. Okay, and Demond would have read you if it was fake. Oh, and, and, well, he should because I, as a lawyer, I don't believe in copyright infringement. So that's a whole other conversation. Yes, come on. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's that, that's somebody's art, right? Um, so it's like she's showing up with actual sophistication, actual style, actual intelligentsia, actual things that we have postured and actually created a mockery of 
for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And we feel a way about it because we don't value those things. What do we value? We value whiteness. We value the Hamptons, even though we don't know shit about the Hamptons so much so that remember that very first episode, if you really go back and watch, that's what I'm saying. Go back and watch the first episode. Uh, Luann has the audacity to invite me to um, her house in Sac Harbor for lunch. And I'm like, she's, and she goes, darling, have you ever heard of Sac Harbor? Have you been to Sac Harbor? Bitch. <laughs> right. I said, um, I'm, I'm partial to Sac Harbor. And let me tell you why. Mm -hmm. Sac Harbor was one of the original beach resorts that allowed black wealth owners to own beachfront property, Sag Harbor, along with Martha's Vineyard, mm -hmm. along with Howard Beach in the DMV area. Luann looked like she couldn't get on Redfin fast enough. So they must have because Luann was not having it with you. She was yeah. she was so put off, disheveled. She was disheveled. She was put off. She was devastated. You know, there's that word again. Unprepared. Unprepared. Well, because you are not, you have never engaged directly right. with a black woman who is who does not feel inferior mm -hmm. to your particular social currency. So let's talk about their social currencies because we should, right? So y'all are white. So that's a social, okay, you get a, you get a check. Yes. America gives you a check for being white. Okay, no problem. Mm -hmm. um, that's no problem. Um, you have a couple of dollars, but let's talk about wealth. Like, let's just go to it because you know, I'm mm -hmm. already out here on the money conversation. When you live in New York City, if you're not to me, to me, if you're not talking about 30, 40 million dollars, it's not wealth. True. It's doing well enough. Mm -hmm. You can live all right, but it's not wealth because to buy a, a real townhouse. Or this, this is why. And I love Sonia, but this is why Sonia can't even fucking live in her townhouse. She, she can't. can't afford it. Mm -hmm. She can't afford it. The, 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 the maintenance on her townhouse is fifty thousand dollars a month which is why you have to rent your townhouse out. So you can't come to me talking about wealth as one of your social currencies when I don't deem you as wealthy and I don't. Then all the other superficial things, style, class, elegance, sophistication. Y'all y'all don't have it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At all. No. At all. You know? So so the things that you value the thing I don't have, which is again whiteness and kind of these and the things that I value, education, actual wealth, real wealth, global sophistication, y'all don't have. So it was a mismatch at the onset. Yeah. That's why it was so difficult, I think, for people to watch. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it was so unsuccessful is because you had women of different social pedigrees yeah. that were being forced to try to uh, make sense of a narrative of social climbing when we're climbing different social ladders. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. you did something unprecedented where Ramona I, didn't show up to the damn reunion and mm -hmm. it was a kibosh on the whole, fran not the franchise, but... No, it was on yeah. that particular well, franchise. On that particular that, franchise. That yeah, that was yeah. it. Right. It was... Yeah. I hope it's on my epitaph. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ebony, um, we're going to get into some homework here. Okay. I love homework. And close out the episode. Yeah. And so, we want to know, like, how do we reframe this subject of black excellence as a source of inspiration and motivation while minimizing the negative impacts on our community. And to give you some food for thought mm -hmm. on that, I read something from, it was an article about a black woman who said that, uh, I think either having a child, I think it was, mm -hmm. made her rethink what black excellence meant to her. And so this quote says, black excellence is wealth, 
in not just financial sense. Hmm. It's in wellness and health and sustaining our bodies and our legacies and passing that on to our children. So that's just an idea of like reframing the the whole topic. Mm-hmm. This topic that I don't think will ever go away. Mm-hmm. We're going to always be talking about it. But I want us to do some homework and give our listeners some homework mm-hmm. on how to reframe how we look at black excellence. I think the first step, Tony, we have to eradicate looking at black excellence through a white lens. That's the first thing. Put the white lens down. Put the white prism down. Make it totally about us. It, this, has to, this is an internal introspection mm-hmm. for, for me and I, I hope for us. Then when you do that, I love this that you just gave. Okay. Um, I love this notion of legacy because, again, I think that it is intrinsic. I think our default posture, and again, this is a big statement, but I think our default posture as descendants of Africans is to be excellent. I think our history shows us that we were excellent in our ability to navigate our land, to cultivate it, to farm it, to have uh, royal legacy, like just so many things to to um, optimize our natural resources on our homeland. We are excellent. Now, anything beyond that is a derivative. And that's devastating. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I digress. But yeah, so I think that's part of it is the reframing of that uh, stop looking at black excellence through this automatic lens of white approval and of white standard. Once we do that and we're exclusively talking about kind of our own cultural prism, I think we show up in our maximum cap- capability. So this goes to something you said earlier, Jordan, which is this notion of like, we've got to be so special, mm-hmm. right? We've got, if you're not Rihanna or you're not Beyonce or you're not Tabitha Brown or you're not Ebony K. Williams or you're not Dustin Ross or whoever, then you're not Gia Peppers or whoever it is, Charlemagne. If you're not that, then you're not black excellence. We ain't shit. (laughs) And I love most of y'all that I just named, but y'all motherfuckers ain't shit and I'm not either. What it really is about is are we taking the gifts that God has given us, our spiritual gifts, and are we maximizing them? If you are, then you are black excellence by definition, period. It's not any more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. Are you going as hard in the paint as you know how to do? And that doesn't mean mental health anguish. That doesn't mean pushing yourself to a point of depression or anxiousness. It means are you maximizing your skill set? If you are, excellent. If you're not, mediocre and for me y'all that's the end of the analysis it's not more complicated than that it's simply a and but before you can determine are you maximizing are you somewhere in the middle are you lowballing if you will you have to assess what is your skill set what what gifts has your higher power whatever that is for you given you for me obviously it's talking (laughs) no this is my spiritual Mm -hmm. gift yeah i think y'all have witnessed it in first person today and loved it Thank you. Um, <laughs> and this and, is this is is this different from the gift of gab? This is this is not. Um, I think it's a little more academic. Yeah, I think I am a teacher mm-hmm. at my sure. core. It's a lot of references, and it's very like it's it's very it's historical. Very, exactly. It's very, like I'm rooted, rooted. I'm a student in, of history. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a student of history. I'm nothing but for Dorothy Height, Baldwin. You know, uh, Diane Nash. Holler! If you don't know who Diane Nash is, you should. 
Uh, you know what I mean? That 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 is that's what uh, gets my rocks off. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more than gift of gab because anybody can just run their mouth and talk, and Me. we see a lot. Well, whatever. <laughs> no, you 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 are way more than that. Stop it, Tony. But we know in this industry and in this social media age, a lot of people make a lot of money just from talking. Mm-hmm. But are you advancing the dialogue? So what I'm very proud of, and you know, I know y'all cut this up, and I want you to. But what we have done today, the the three of us participating collectively, is we have advanced the. I guarantee you, they might not agree with you, you or me, but they have thought deeper and more complexly about notions of blackness, whiteness, black excellence, and what their maximum positioning could look like and mm-hmm. and if that has happened i'll sleep well at night i sleep well at night yeah on my ferret sheets yes bitch <laughs> <laughs> that, we're gonna, that, that we're gonna check out soon yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> oh yeah y'all oh yeah y'all need to mm-hmm. they're they're nice mm-hmm. <laughs> comfortable well, we wanna be- <laughs> comfort. comfort comfort i love com- comfort's important it's a soft life is okay it's on my checklist yeah. i need to be able to go home and, and block the world out mm-hmm. and everything that I need is right there. But yeah. see, that I'm glad you brought up soft life, though, because to me, this is also a, a, a euphemism, a, a kind of semantical debate. Because when we talk about living the soft life, I would submit that you got to go hard to live the soft life, which a lot of people would take issue with. Mm-hmm. Because some people are like, no, Auntie E, the whole point of the soft life is bitch to be soft. <laughs> but because I like what I like, mm-hmm. I can't show up in a soft posture. And obtain what I like. Mm-hmm. Because I like what I like. Yeah. And it's nothing soft about it. And on that note, we want to <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> no, I love that. Thank For you. Sharing this space with us. This like, was great. This, uh, the girls are going to gag. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Your I fans mean, are our fans. Our fans are your no, fans. Of course, all of that. But like, I, and I mean, I listeners, was, people who listen to us. Yeah. People who like, yeah. This is this is the moment for us. Yeah. It's a moment if, for if me no too. one else gagged, we we. Well, I'm gagging. I'm I'm gagging as well along yeah. with y'all because this to me like this is what those of us in this space should be doing. We should be availing ourselves. We should be reaching out. We should be connecting the dots because mm-hmm. all of us as fabulous as we are. And that's why I said we ain't shit. Some of us, you know, to do what we do at the level we do it in silo mm-hmm. is, is that is the definition of a missed opportunity. Well, that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I coined this before Go ahead. Beyonce came out with her album. I said that I feel a renaissance mm. is upon I us. I remember you saying And that, I said yeah. this before her album came out. Mm-hmm. I, and I have a witness with me, Jordan. Yes. Um, and I do feel that this era mm-hmm. of doing what we're doing mm-hmm. and really reaching across the aisle, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. to have a moment like this is it's happening because we're in a special time. Special it really time. is. It's Reclaiming really the narrative and mm-hmm. writing the story the way As that we, we need it to yeah. be. And so, Ebony, if you could give our listeners anything that you have coming up, how they can find you. I know they want to hear more. Oh, like, just just do that for us. Yeah, find me on Instagram only. I did open this thread account, but y'all know my old ass. I'm not really <laughs> Too many apps on your phone. Too many apps. <laughs> Child, I'm really just trying to be on this Delta app. Um, okay. <laughs> um, at Ebony, E-B-O-N-I-K Williams on Instagram. I do check my DMs. And the best thing you can do to, uh, you know, see what's going on with the, the T most recently is, of course, stay up to date on Holding Court, which drops every Wednesday. But I'm so excited about Equal Justice with Judge Ebony. 
I really am. I've always been a fan of daytime television. Obviously, I love my time on The View. That, you know, will always be something that I pop in and out of. But in the meantime, daytime court is the original reality TV. Let's be clear. People's court. Let's talk about it. We Mm -hmm. all watch it with our grandmamas in Campbell's suit. Stop playing. (laughs) Vicks on your chest. You know you did. And so, therefore... This is what is the new iteration? What is the new era of daytime court? It's here. Yes. Get them together. Get and, these people and, together. Ordering the motherfucking court. Ordering the court. And we're, Get we're, your punk ass out of my courtroom. Where can okay. people find this? So that's going to be syndicated. Um, I'm partnered with Byron Allen, speaking of black ownership and liberation. So that's going to be everywhere. I think in New York will be like PIX11. You know, mm-hmm. check your local listings. And that will be coming this September. I'm so excited. Wow. Yes. 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 Congratulations. We love a Thanks, fall y'all. premiere. We love a fall premiere. Yes. And on that note, that's all the time we have this week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please, let's keep the conversation going. We know you will on this topic specifically. And slide in Ebony's comments. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's, re- she's got the boxing gloves on. She does. Um, but... <laughs> As always, let us know your thoughts and opinions at surfacelevelpodcast.com. And remember, stay curious.